Villainous, a Good Omens fanfiction, written by Ineffable Penguin, read aloud by Sky Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. Villainous Chapter 14 Chosen Faces It felt very strange to step out of a carriage into a crowd of elaborately dressed, laughing nobles. Strange, but oddly splendid as well. The carriage Crow had hired for the last leg of his journey to the High Fells was by far the finest one he'd ever ridden in. Richly lacquered copper wood, with ornate paneling and gilded accents that gleamed brilliant orange in the light of the swinging lanterns. That hadn't made the journey any more comfortable, but at least his arrival made an impression. He really wasn't one for doing things halfway. Crow pulled in a deep breath of fresh seaside air, letting it clear the aching in his guts from the long ride. This, he thought, tugging nervously at his cravats, is either genius or a really special kind of stupid. The kind reserved for legendary ballads and plays, the ones that end with wars and public executions. Genius. He was going to go with genius. Once he crept past the wall, he had gone straight for the nearest place that rented horse-drawn coaches and hired one to drive him up north. It was much too far away to run, and anyway, even the thick-headed northerners would be bound to notice a man zooming past at quarter-horse speeds wearing ballroom attire. So a carriage it was. He'd had to swap out carriages twice along the way to make it in time, and the trip had taken a lot longer than he'd hoped and been more expensive than he liked, but he'd made it in the end. Slightly green around the gills, but in one piece. He consoled himself that at least the trip home would be instantaneous. Apparently, being late was in fashion, because despite the hour, plenty of courtiers were only just arriving. The night air smelled sharply of salt, a tang that lingered on the back of Crow's tongue. Under the clatter of hooves, music, and general gaiety, he could hear the steady murmur of waves crashing against the cliff base far below. The wind blowing in from the sea was cold and sharp enough to make him shiver, but he wore enough layers that he knew he would soon be too hot regardless. There was already a bit of sweat trying to trickle down the back of his neck, though that could easily be due to nerves. If he had been nervous, that is, 
sorcerer's had nerves of tempered blue steel, and were certainly not nervous about something as pedestrian as going to a party filled with blood enemies. No, never mind that his previous plans had been to avoid the palaces, well, forever. Crow tugged at his stiff collar and quickly glanced down at himself to ensure nothing was out of place. He had traded his sorceress cloak for the finest thing he owned, a long, elegant, black velvet coat covered in crimson embroidery, tailored narrow to his body with slightly flared tails, sporting a high collar and heavy silver buttons. The coat was second-hand from his father, kept stored away in a trunk all these years on the tower's sixth floor that served as an attic. It had been dusty, and he'd had to chase off a couple of mice that had made their home inside it. But just a few light cleaning spells, and it was good as new. Thankfully, he and father had turned out to be similar heights, and the coat fit well. Layered under the coat was matching, new, doublet and breeches of midnight satin, with black silk hose and tiered cravats in the Imperion style. A simple silver pin held his cravats in place. He'd brushed and left his hair down for the occasion, and polished his best leather shoes until they shone like glass. He'd balked at the hose, but if he was going to breathe the rarefied air, then concessions had to be made. He felt like an over-decorated layer cake, but the overall effect with the mask was striking, if he did say so himself. Properly intimidating. If he was going to look like a fool, he might as well do it with style. How the hell did Azra walk around like this all the time? It felt like all the clothes were consuming him alive, and he wasn't even going to start on what the hose was doing. He discreetly adjusted his crotch for the dozenth time. Ugh, that was uncomfortable. And nervously checked the ties, holding his raven skull mask to his face. All seemed secure. In you go. Fortune favors the bold, after all. He squared his shoulders, twirled a little lacquered black walking stick that he had stolen yesterday, and strolled forward into the glittering, masked crowd streaming towards the palace. The palace of the high fells rose up before him, starkly visible against the black of the night beyond the cliffs. It was a sight to behold, a magnificent, soaring thing of white marble and extravagant glass windows that spanned entire stories, graceful arches and carved peaks, reaching straight upwards as if to touch the heavens. Which was probably the idea, Crow thought. The thing was certainly tall enough. Each gold-tipped turret was as large as his entire tower. 
clear crystal mosaics had been laid into almost every inch of the white stonework, swirling in subtle, faceted patterns that caught the shifting fire of hundreds of torches and made the entire building scintillate like a cut diamond. Crow felt abruptly very small and rather grubby. This place was undeniably beautiful, he admitted grudgingly, and realized with a flash of dismay that it suited Azra perfectly. If anyone deserved beauty, it was him. He was glad now for his elaborate outfit, though he couldn't hold a candle to the truly absurd finery that he saw all around him on men and women alike. Violet silk ribbons and piles of lace cravats fluttered in the salty evening breeze. There were rubies as large as pigeon eggs bound to coiffed and powdered hair, sweeping satin skirts and rare furs and four-cornered hats adorned with nodding plumes. Jewels of every color glinted off hemlines, crusted with gold embroidery, masks in a dizzying array of styles, heeled shoes and peacock feathers, and lace studded with tiny seed pearls, and every other outrageous thing imaginable. A hundred different perfumes scented the night air. Compared to this prancing lot, his outfit was subtle. He at least maintained a bit of dignity. Crow held his breath as he walked through the enormous golden gates that barred the palace walls, past the stone-eyed royal guards, but their gazes slid right over him without pausing. He exhaled and smirked to himself. This was going to be fun. He'd never been to a party before, let alone a royal ball. And what a laugh to get to strut around under the very noses of the people who would execute him, given half a chance. And if he got to spend some time with Azra, well, that would be a bonus, naturally simply a bonus. He was here to thumb his nose at the landed gentry. That was all. Yep. He loosened his somewhat sweaty grip on the walking stick and relaxed his stride to a saunter. Blend in. You belong here, remember? The inner courtyard was filled with larger-than-life marble statues. Crow eyed them, in fascinated disgust as he passed. They all seemed to follow the same theme. Well-muscled, generically handsome men, in exaggeratedly heroic stances. Fists on hips, one leg propped, with flashing eyes and absurdly puffed chests. Holding various weapons, and pointing them valiantly into the distance at nothing. They looked exactly like every idiotic knight and hero that had ever strutted up to his tower, before they encountered Crow, anyway. They looked a bit different 
after. At the far end of the courtyard stood an enormous, leaping fountain, and in the center of that stood another set of white statues. This one Crow actually stopped to stare at. The statues showed a robed man kneeling at sword point before an armored man wearing a crown. The kneeling figure's upturned face was twisted into a hideous snarl of rage and sporting a stupid little goatee. The artist had taken it upon themselves to paint the irises of the kneeling man's eyes yellow. <laughs> Unbelievable! Crow turned his bark of laughter into a coughing fit. In a way, it really was a shame that this lot didn't have magic. They would get on fantastically with the council. He kept moving with the crowd past the fountain and finally stepped through a set of carven silver doors that were thrown wide to admit guests into the main ballroom. As he walked in, his steps slowed, and he sucked in an involuntary breath. The ballroom itself was a sight worth coming for. It was the largest room he had ever seen, the vaulted ceiling soaring far above his head and vanishing into shadow. Everything was opulently and artistically lit only by candles. Thousands of candles, of every size and on every surface, set in bronze sconces, dripping wax down marble balustrades, filling dozens of clear glass lamps that hung from the ceilings on silver chains. The end result was that the room seemed to be filled with thousands of floating gold stars as if the room opened directly to the night sky. That golden light sparkled off the jewelry, the crystal goblets, the beadwork on dancing guests' finery, as they dipped and twirled, shifting and moving like constellations across the heavens. Music from the orchestra wove through the crowd and hung sweetly in the air. Crow quickly shut his mouth and shook off the dazzle of it all. It wouldn't do for him to be caught gopping like a back-country yokel. An attendant in white and gold livery offered him a glass of red wine from a silver tray, and Crow quickly accepted. A drink would help him relax. Now to do some lurking and see if he could spot one particular noble in all this madness. From here, he could just see the enormous tiered banquet tables laden with, it seemed, enough food to feed an entire kingdom. It was wafting the delicious smells of bread and roasting meat across the ballroom, and his empty stomach chose that moment to gurgle loudly. <clears throat> With all his preparations, he hadn't stopped to eat all day. His mouth began to water. That would be a decent place to start.
Azra stood alone at the far end of the ballroom by the empty throne dais, watching the twirling dancers and trying not to look forlorn. He wished he had time for a trip to the banquet tables before Michael returned, or even a quick spin around the dance floor. Yes, that would have been nice, something to focus on and soothe his jangling nerves. His nerves were always jangling at parties like this, but never quite so badly as tonight. Which is silly, he scolded himself. It wasn't as though they were announcing anything tonight at the ball. This was just a formality, the traditional first meeting, a way to introduce the intended parties in a relatively quiet way before the official public troth, although he did rather wish it hadn't been scheduled for such a public event, with the entire court surreptitiously looking on. But perhaps it wouldn't be as fraught as all that. Perhaps they could make a beginning towards friendship, at least, seeing as they were more or less in the same boat together. He looked wistfully back out over the dance floor. The musicians had struck up a lively tune, and everyone seemed to be having a grand time. He very much enjoyed dancing, though he rarely had the opportunity to do so. He'd asked courtiers, as a younger man, with cheerful innocence, but it hadn't taken very long to realize that people usually only accepted because they felt they couldn't refuse. Once he learned to recognize that look, noticed the hushed snickering behind hands, he'd stopped asking. Ahem. Azra closed his eyes briefly before schooling his face to a pleasant expression. This is it. He took a deep breath and exhaled, then turned slowly on his heel. Tonight, Michael wore a long, formal gray coat, touched with silver embroidery, white chiffon cravats, his silver crown of office, and a supercilious expression. He was leading a dark-haired young lady in a gold mask by the hand with formal ceremony, and only someone who knew him well would have caught the glint in his eyes. Prince Azra, may I present to you Lady Uriel of Elysia. Lady Uriel, Prince Azra of the High Fells. Michael bowed and retreated a few steps away along the periphery of the dance floor, leaving Azra and his lady-to-be facing each other. Lady Uriel looked him over. She was elegantly garbed in pale silver silk with peach lace flounces at the throat and wrists. Azra smiled at her and bowed, concealing his dismay at her age. Blast it, she looked even younger than her eighteen years. Doubtless he would be expected to see that as a plus. She was indeed lovely, 
with warm brown skin and a sweet heart-shaped face. But when he looked at her, all he could see was a child. Oh, I'd best start trying to fix that. I have to marry this girl. A woman. Oh, dear. She, for her part, was looking at him in ill-concealed disappointment behind her dainty gold mask. He was well used to that, at least. He ignored the sinking twist in his gut and kissed her slender hand as politely as he could, trying not to see how her dark eyes flicked up and down his body. He resisted the urge to suck in his stomach. <clears throat> it is a pleasure to meet you, my dear. You look lovely tonight. Are you enjoying the ball so far? I am. Thank you, your highness, she replied without enthusiasm. Her full lips had been touched with some kind of gold leaf that made them glint as she spoke. I'm very glad to hear it. Azra smiled encouragingly, and she smiled back, a very familiar, polite, empty expression that did not reach her eyes. He winced internally. <sighs> oh, dear. Uh, I am told that you enjoy music, he continued, and that you are quite a talent at the harp. Do you play often? I do. She folded elegant hands in front of her against her full skirts and did not elaborate. How wonderful! What are some of your favorite songs? Oh, too many to count, your highness. She gave another small, polite smile. Silence stretched. Ah! He clasped his sweating hands behind his back and racked his brains for something else to say. He had hung most of his conversational hopes on that topic. Do you, uh, ever enjoy reading? Not particularly, I'm afraid, she replied. Her tone and expression were perfectly cordial, perfectly correct, but he had spent a lifetime learning to recognize courtly disdain, or at least disinterest. Lady Uriel was a master of the art. Oh, he gave a little nervous laugh. <laughs> I see. Well, I suppose that, perhaps, the theatre might be more to your liking, with the musical element. Have you ever seen the Ten Honest Turncoats? It has a most remarkable orchestral section, especially in the second act, where everything gets very dramatic indeed. He realized, distantly, that he was babbling on like an old fool the way he always did when he got flustered, and that she was just standing there, looking at him with that politely interested expression pinned to her face. And, oh, this was dreadful, but he couldn't seem to help himself. It was like watching his own carriage crash from a distance 
unable to stop as he careened towards disaster. He could sense Michael's amusement from behind him, and the not-so-subtle eyes of others in the ballroom, watching with gleeful interest. Having an audience made everything ten times more horrid, and the twist in his guts was soon accompanied by a pit in his stomach. This was going even worse than he had feared. Not for the first time. He dearly wished he had been born to a merchant family. Then it wouldn't matter so much that he was chubby, or bookish, or dull as old silver, that he cared more for artwork than swordwork, and preferred books to blades. Everyone would leave him be, and commoners had the luxury of choosing someone who made them happy. But happy was what he would have to strive for with this girl, woman, regardless of what he might wish, and regardless of how impossible it seemed at the moment. So he kept at it, doggedly. He did not let his own smile fall though it did stiffen a bit as she kept responding with one-word answers to his increasingly desperate attempts at light conversation. Michael mercifully left after a few minutes, no doubt bored of the show. Lady Uriel also pretended not to hear Azra's tentative request to dance. At that point, the refusal filled him mostly with relief. After an hour of awkward non-interaction, he'd reached his limit. He asked Lady Uriel if he could bring her a drink, and when she coolly declined, he excused himself to go make his miserable way to the banquet tables. He forced himself to keep a dignified pace, as he made his slow trek around the room, with hands clasped behind his back, through the press of satins and jewels and masks, nodding automatically here and smiling there, as lords and ladies dipped into curtsies and bows on all sides, all the perfectly courteous, polite courtiers. Once arrived at the tables, he just stood there, aimlessly, by a towering display of cherry cream cakes, uncertain what to do with himself. For once, the sumptuous array of desserts failed to tempt his knotted stomach. Not after the way Uriel had looked at him. Music and color and merriment swirled around him without touching, like water around a lump of rock. He gratefully accepted a glass of white wine from a passing attendant, and drained half of it in a single draught, barely tasting it, breathing like a man who had escaped from prison. Relax, people will see and talk. The rumor mill was probably already churning at that very moment. Everyone at court knew about tonight's meeting. All at once, the enormous room 
felt oppressively small and cramped. There were too many eyes here, too many staring, gossiping faces. He felt like he couldn't breathe. Glancing to and fro, he slowly inched backwards, away from the glaring lights and the crowd, until his back hit the shadowed wall. A thick tapestry swayed against his shoulder. Two steps to the left obscured him from view, and he indulged in the luxury of being invisible for a moment. From his hiding place, he could see with a sinking feeling that his intended had begun talking and laughing animatedly with one of the young men who had approached. And how could he blame the poor girl? It wasn't as though he wanted to marry her, either. Even so, her blatant disdain stung. He heaved a great sigh and looked down at his glass of wine, wishing it was bigger. Gold winked on the rim of the crystal goblet. Gold like Uriel's mask. Gold like, like crow's eyes in low light. He smiled, then shook his head briskly and took another sip, trying to drown the hollow ache in his chest. Now was not the time to be thinking of crow, but he couldn't help it. He slid a hand into his coat pocket and ran his fingers over the plain black handkerchief there. He hadn't meant to bring it with him, not really, had just slipped it into the pocket without thinking as he was getting ready, but he was glad of it now. It made him feel a bit less alone. Oh, how badly he wished he was sitting in their shady little ruins, drinking wine with his dear sorcerer, instead of in this gilded cage. Crow actually enjoyed spending time with him, though why that should be was a great mystery, given what Azra now knew about what he had suffered at the hands of Imperion's subjects. His subjects! They and apparently everyone else had been nearly murdering Crow all this time, and Crow had never said a word. Or rather, far worse, he had, for anyone listening properly. But Azra had been so content to not look too closely at it, hadn't he? He'd naively assumed that, surely, people couldn't be so rotten as all that and he'd let himself grow comfortable, thinking of Crow as rather invulnerable, when he knew full well that he was human as anyone. He knew full well that Crow put a brave face on things. What a terrible friend he'd been! Shame churned his stomach, along with everything else, and now he was soon to trade their days together, for more nights like this? The thought made his heart ache. Only three weeks now, until the formal announcement. Oh, however am I going to do this? It never used to feel this hard. Never this dire. All his life, he had managed to be at peace with his destiny. 
but lately, I wish. But wishing was for people who had a choice. Heartsick, he closed his eyes and leaned back against the stone wall, trying to pretend he was somewhere else, somewhere alone and very quiet, with Crow leaning very close the way he had just last week, looking at him with those beautiful, intent, golden eyes that made him catch his breath every time, and the face that had been haunting him every time he fell asleep at night. After a few minutes of fruitless imagining, he peeked out from behind the tapestry and glanced around. Everyone else was entirely occupied. Uriel was now dancing a waltz with the young courtier fellow from a moment ago, and Michael was off somewhere, doing whatever he did when he wasn't irritating him. Gabriel was in a meeting with the Elysian king, doubtless finalizing his nuptials at that very moment, and wasn't that a depressing thought? No one would notice or care if he slipped away for a while, keeping a firm grip on the handkerchief, rubbing it between thumb and forefinger, he made his escape. Crow watched Azra socialize from the far corner of the room, lounging casually against a marble pillar near the banquet tables, sipping at something blue from a tall crystal flute. Tasty stuff. Very strong, tasty stuff. He knew he should probably stop drinking it, but he had little else to occupy himself, besides stuffing his gullet with delicacies from the nearby banquet tables. There had been roast capone, stuffed with cured pork and figs. Amazing! And then a particularly excellent fudge cake, filled with brandy cream. He'd craftily chosen this particular spot, because it seemed a safe bet that Azra would come over to the food sooner or later. The answer to that, apparently, was later. Crow had been lurking, half-hidden in the shadows, for over an hour now, and was, frustratingly, no closer to being able to approach him. Not with him standing right at the very front of the room like that. All Crow had to show for his patience was a too-full stomach and a slowly encroaching haze over his thoughts. All the sparkling gold lights had begun to blur a bit. These prancing nobles threw quite a party, though. He had to give them that. Once they got a few drinks in them, they let loose nearly as enthusiastically as the common folk. He'd already had to wave off advances from two women and one man. He was now on his second glass of the excellent blue liqueur, and starting to really enjoy himself, despite his frustration. Once he bored of eating, he transmuted the entire barrel of white wine back to water. 
the one transmutation spell he knew that he'd always wanted to try but never had any use for, and watched with glee as the ever more frustrated servants poured glass after useless glass. He'd amused himself for another thirty minutes by slowly melting the little chocolate subtleties out of the guests' hands as they tried, baffled, to eat them. The trick was to time it right as they took a bite, and do it quickly enough to make the chocolate impossible to hold, but not so quick that anyone suspected foul play. He'd nearly cracked a rib from holding in his giggles as chocolate dripped all over their hands and fine clothes. He'd also used a spell to unravel all the stitching on half a dozen particularly stuffy-looking noblemen's breeches. It took a lot of concentration to localize it like that, and not just unravel the entire piece of clothing, especially under the influence. But he was counting on a fantastically funny payoff once they entered the dance floor. But that was all just a bit of sport while he waited for his chance. His attention was always half-fixed on the blonde prince, his eyes constantly drawn back to him like a lodestone. Even all the way across the room, even among the other peacocked guests, Azra stood out. But then Azra would stand out in the center of the sun, in his definitely not tipsy or biased opinion. The prince was sumptuously dressed in creams and golds, and standing at the periphery of the dance floor, upon the dais by the throne. He wore no mask. A much taller man, also maskless, with artfully curled hair and wearing a silver crown, stood off to his left side. Azra was currently speaking to a young, pretty lady in a gold mask. He stood with hands clasped behind his back, spine straight, and something about the set of his shoulders suggested that they were clenched together. The poor man looked stiff as a board, actually, especially compared to the laughing and flirting courtiers all around. Crow set down his empty glass on the table without looking away and selected another. Every single man in the room was proportioned roughly like the statues in the courtyard, except Azra. Remarkable! He wondered if there was some kind of device somewhere that turned nobles out like a human printing press. If so, it was a waste of effort. Azra looked far handsomer and far more princely to his eyes. It was a struggle to tear his eyes away from him. The tall, silver-crowned man next to Azra turned and made a brief comment to someone else, and Crow blinked as he suddenly recognized the profile. He had seen it on the silver high fells currency a dozen times by now. So, that was Michael, was it? Crow's softening wits sharpened, and he bared his teeth 
in a silent snarl. Now here was a diversion worth his time. He couldn't arouse suspicion, of course, but he could surely wipe that smug expression off the man's face. Crow backed further into the shadows and, focusing hard, sent a bit of heat into the soles of Michael's shoes. Not a lot, not at first. It was the exact same method he used to light the candles at home, only much further away and with lesser intensity. Magic grew harder and took more energy with distance, and Michael was all the way across the dance floor. But Crow set his jaw and bore down, gradually increasing the amount of power. At first, nothing happened. Then, after a minute, Michael suddenly shifted. He surreptitiously lifted one foot, then the other, and rubbed the toe of a shoe against the back of his calf, as if it were uncomfortable. He glanced down briefly, frowning, then casually turned and strolled away from Azra. Crow grinned a fierce grin behind his mask. His hand slowly made a fist at his side, and he sent another trickle of heat. Michael's step quickened. His face had gone red, and he was visibly struggling to walk normally. He was nearly to the very end of the room. Curse it! He was getting away! Crow growled and squeezed his fist until the knuckles popped. The prince cursed and tore off his shoes while nearby guests stared at him in open concern. The tiny commotion was quickly swallowed in the music and general hubbub, invisible to anyone who wasn't watching for it. Crow released the magic with an exhale and sipped his drink. <laughs> there, he thought with a satisfied smirk. Michael wasn't at all handsome any more, with his face flushed and blotchy like that. The bastard had it coming. He would have loved to make his shoes actually burst into flame, but some things just couldn't be explained away. After another half hour of waiting and drinking, his chance finally arose. Azra had approached the banquet table for a glass of wine and was now slowly edging his way around the borders of the room, slinking towards the door at the far corner. <laughs> Sneaking away, are we? Crow grinned and followed quietly in his wake. A nervous, fluttery sensation had taken root in his stomach, blunted by the alcohol, and he had to resist the impulse to rush too much and draw attention. He knew he had drunk more than he should, and was tipsier than he would have liked, but confident that he could keep things together. It was dimly lit outside the ballroom, and it took Crow a second 
for his masked eyes to adjust to the lower light. Once he could see again, he hurried along the deserted corridor, peeking around each intersecting corner until there, Azra, making his stately way down the lamp-lit hallway towards the front of the palace, one hand holding a wine goblet and the other tucked casually in his coat pocket. Arranging his hidden face to seriousness, Crow crept along behind him as stealthily as he could. It wasn't that difficult. His feet sank noiselessly into the thick carpet runner. When he was only a couple paces away from him, he stopped and loudly cleared his throat. Ahem! Azra gasped and jumped a full inch or two off the ground, sloshing white wine in an arc and splattering Crow's shoes as he whirled wide-eyed to face him. <gasps> oh! Your Royal Highness, Crow said. He suppressed a fit of mad giggles and swept into an absurdly formal bow, extending one leg forward with back parallel to the floor, walking stick held out to the side. He'd practiced in the mirror until he thought it looked natural. On impulse, he pitched his voice a shade deeper. I was hoping to speak to your royal lordship for a moment, if I may. Oh! To his credit, Azra quickly recovered and composed his features back to the polite, courtly expression he had been wearing earlier. It didn't look anything like him. Oh, yes, I'm uh, terribly sorry, but I'm afraid I have a rather pressing appointment. I'm sure Prince Michael is who you want in any case. He's back somewhere out there on the dance floor. <laughs> oh, beg pardon. If you aren't interested in chatting tonight, your holiness, Crow said, straightening and using his normal voice this time. Azra's carefully bland expression wavered, then sharpened as he really looked at him. His eyes snapped wide. Crow? He gasped, and the cool, remote demeanor fell away like a discarded coat. What in... What the blazes are you doing here? Emotions flitted over his face, almost too fast to follow. Shock, unmistakable delight, and finally, horror. Keeping you out of trouble. Crow briefly lifted the mask and grinned at him, then grunted as Azra seized his arm and hauled him over to the edge of the hall, behind a row of short pillars topped with marble busts. His grip was strong. Ow! Careful now! This coat isn't exactly new! What do you think you are doing here? Azra demanded again, in a panicked whisper. He had set down the empty glass somewhere, and was gripping him by both arms now, squeezing. What? How? Have you lost your senses? You ridiculous scoundrel! You'll be caught! He darted a frantic look around to make sure they were 
quite alone. For the moment, they were. Their hallway was deserted, lit only by softly glowing lamps, set at intervals along the panelled walls. But any of the revellers could come walking down it at any second. <laughs> Relax, Crow kept his voice low, even though the distant hum of the music and conversation was plenty loud enough to cover his words. I'm not here to ruin your party. No one even knows who I am up here. It's the whole point of a mask ball, isn't it? He tapped the shadowy glass eye socket of his mask. Yes, all right, but... Oh, Crow, this is completely mad. You're in the heart of the palace. What if... what if someone asks who you are? <laughs> then I'll lie, obviously. Scoundrels are good at that. Do you really think any of this lot is paying attention? He nodded back towards the way he'd come, where drunken laughter and conversation kept rising and falling. It's a party. No one is on their guard. The palace guards certainly are. <laughs> I'll avoid them, Crow assured him. I'll be careful, I promise. I just thought I'd come and keep you company, rescue you from your boredom. Too late, he remembered that he was not here just to see him. Oh, shit! That blue drink must have been more potent than he thought. Azra looked like he wanted to keep fussing, but couldn't think of anything else to say. He only gave a helpless sort of huff and slowly let go of Crow's arms. <laughs> well, you've certainly done that. The familiar exasperation on his face was wholly endearing. Crow grinned, looking him up and down. <laughs> what the hell are you wearing, anyway? Azra looked down at himself. He wore an extravagantly cut ivory coat that hung to his thighs, dripping with enough gold buttons, braiding, and beaded embroidery to sink a small ship. His matching ivory doublet and breeches were covered in gold needlepoint phoenixes. Four layers of ruffled white lace cravats cascaded from his high collar. More lace poured ludicrously forth from the flared cuffs to cover his jeweled hands. He stood an inch taller in thick-heeled satin shoes with lavish gold buckles, worn over embroidered ivory hose. His breeches fastened at the knees with tiny diamond buttons. He looked completely ridiculous and absolutely beautiful far more so than any of those mincing idiots out there. His hair was silver gilt in the lamplight, bound back by a gold circlet inlaid with sapphires, and his eyes shone brighter blue than usual. Those eyes were currently narrowed at Crow in indignation. And what else should I be wearing to a formal ball? Azra demanded. Raising his chin, I do have standards. Mm-hmm, 
I don't think you have enough lice. Crow tugged at the frilly cravats around his neck, snickering as Azra lightly smacked his hand away. <laughs> you look nice. What do you think? Do I meet your persnickety standards? He held out his arms and turned in a circle for inspection. I've never mingled with such elevated company before. Oh, good lord. Azra looked him quickly up and down, and his mouth worked a few times. <laughs> it will suffice, he finally said, tart as a fresh lemon. Ruffian, a crow mask, honestly, have you no subtlety at all? It's a raven skull, thanks, much more sinister, and you're a fine one to talk, dressed like that. I'm a prince. I'm supposed to be dressed nicely. That thing is terrifying. You frightened me half to death, skulking in the shadows like a... like... He sputtered and gave up. You made me spill all my wine, he said plaintively. A capital crime, that. Are you going to have me thrown out? Oh, of course not. Azra seemed to relax, and his exasperated expression slid away. He sighed and touched Crow's arm briefly again, a conciliatory gesture. I just... Uh, can't have you risking your life on my account. The words sent a flush of warmth through Crow, and he was incredibly grateful for the mask hiding his face. Such concern for your enemy, he teased, most unseemly. Azra didn't seem to notice the teasing and kept speaking distractedly. It's only that my people have already hurt you far, far too much already, and I couldn't bear it if anything else. <gasps> oh! He put a hand to his mouth. Expression one of shocked guilt. I forgot about your injured arm. I'm so sorry, my dear. I do hope I didn't hurt you when I grabbed you a minute ago. No, no, it's doing fine, Crow assured him. That salve of yours worked miracles. He pinwheeled his arm to demonstrate and almost knocked a marble bust off its pillar. No pain at all. Oh, I'm so glad. And no one else has harmed you since I saw you last? He asked anxiously. Crow chuckled. <laughs> no, I promise. It's only been a week. It doesn't happen that often. Thank heavens for that. Azra beamed up at him in relief. And it was worth the entire hassle and risk. Worth the day-long bouncy carriage ride and uncomfortably hot clothes, just to see that smile. Crow felt himself actually grow a few degrees warmer, not only above the waist, either. It did nothing for his mental acuity. He smiled foolishly back, and barely resisted the urge to sweep him into his arms. Wow, shit! That's definitely enough alcohol for you. 
You do look quite dashing in our styles, Azra admitted, looking him over with a smile. <laughs> Wherever did you get clothes like this? These must be new. Dark magic, Crow replied casually. Azra rolled his eyes. <laughs> well, you seem to be rather sparse on accessories. We can't have that, he said with mock seriousness. Such a lovely outfit deserves some decoration. There were tall vases of flowers set here and there along the hall. The closest one held long-stemmed red roses. Azra pulled a tightly furled one free and broke the stem short, plucking off all the thorns. From somewhere within his coat, he produced a pin and stepped close. Crow stood mannequin still, barely breathing, as Azra carefully pinned the rose to his right coat label. It matched the dark red embroidery perfectly. The prince arranged it just so and stepped back to admire his work with a satisfied smile smoothing the black coat down with his palm. <laughs> there you are, my dear, the perfect finishing touch. He took Crow's hand and bowed over it, pressing a gentle kiss to the back of his fingers. The touch of lips to skin hit Crow's tipsy brain like a battering ram. His entire body flushed hot, when the gears of his mind started turning again, he was vaguely surprised to find that he had not burst into flame, but was still on his feet, frozen with his hand hanging stupidly in mid-air, staring at Azra, who now had his hands clasped shyly behind his back. He turned a brilliant shade of pink. Crow quickly dropped his hand. Um, thanks, he croaked giddily. I wouldn't want to be under-decorated among this lot. It's probably a capital offense. Azra smiled, still flushed, and it was as lovely as the first time. <laughs> no doubt. That mad urge to hold him was back in full force dangerously strong. So Crow folded his arms and leaned casually against the nearest pillar. Keep yourself together! Ahem. So, where were you heading to? Why are you sneaking off instead of in there, dancing with all your admirers? Something flickered over Azra's face, dimming the smile, and he glanced away. Oh... It's kind of unseemly to skip out on your wait list, eh, your holiness? Azra rolled his eyes again and gave Crow's shoulder a little shove. Oh, will you stop with that? With what? The entire your holiness nonsense. Fine, not reverent enough? How about my liege, your worship, saint? Or how about we cut right to the heart of the matter and call you Angel? He snickered. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Oh, you can't.
serious. Don't you dare! Ha! Too late. It's decided, Angel. Oh, for goodness sakes! Azra blushed again, avoiding his eyes. He didn't actually look displeased. <laughs> You're being remarkably silly. Nonsense, Angel. <laughs> Crow suppressed a hiccup and glanced around to make sure they were still quite alone. They dawdled here long enough. Azra seemed to have the same thought. We should move out of this hallway at least. Would you care to take a walk? He looked wistfully back towards the crowd. It will be a relief to disappear for a while. About to make another joke, Crow paused at the tone and looked closer at Asra's face. There was a slight edge to him, a shadow that he hadn't noticed through the liquor and his euphoria at seeing him. The familiar lines of his rounded face were tenser than normal, slightly off-kilter. His jaw was taut. Beneath the tartness, he looked genuinely distressed. Azra, are you all right? Blue eyes darted sideways. Oh, yes. You know I'm just not very fond of these large parties. Crow folded his arms, frowning now. You're still a terrible liar. Come on, what's wrong? Azra was silent for almost a full minute twisting his gold signet ring around his finger. He opened and closed his mouth several times. Finally, he took a deep breath and said, reluctantly, as if the words were being pried from him, I met the girl I'm being betrothed to tonight. He didn't look at him. Oh. The hallway seemed to constrict, the lights dimmed. Crow's bubbly buoyancy felt like it had been stabbed. Betrothed seemed to echo in his ears. Already? No, no, it can't be. He tried to think of something casual and gracious to say, anything, but his sodden wit wasn't up to the task. Oh, oh shit. Um, what? So the betrothal is set? Azra nodded, still looking down and away. It appears that way. Almost. Tonight was the preliminary introduction. An informal meeting, if you will. And the public announcement and presentation will be at the tournament in three weeks. Once that's done, then it will truly be official. I imagine the wedding will be set for some months from now. Ah! Crow swallowed and stood there, struggling to keep his composure. It probably wouldn't have been possible if not for the mask. Months! Only months left! At best! He cast his slightly fuzzy memory back to the pretty, dark-haired girl speaking to Azra in the ballroom and felt the first burn of searing jealousy under the sick dismay. 
You never said anything, he wanted to say. Never a word. But Azra didn't owe him an accounting of his engagement. Now, did he? They hadn't talked about this at all, and he wasn't entirely sure what to make of that, and now he didn't have a clue what to do. He groped for something else to say. And the meeting tonight didn't go well, he guessed. Azra sighed. <laughs> she was less than enthused at the prospect. It was easy to hear what he didn't say. Jealousy turned to anger, and Crow regretted not giving her a bit of hot foot. He glared back toward the ballroom. It's not too light. Do you want me to go set her on fire? That startled a laugh out of him. <laughs> no, no, of course not. The poor girl is just young and not interested in me. Quite understandably so. I'm not exactly interested in her, either. Not quite my usual type. The wry tone of his voice and sideways glance gave additional significance to the words. Oh. Crow wasn't remotely surprised at this point, but it still made his heart leap to hear his suspicions confirmed anyway, though that was stupid when he had no right to feel thrilled at all. It wasn't as though his chances were affected one way or another. It shouldn't make one lick of difference that Azra was not interested in women. He swallowed hard. Um, surely, surely the king wouldn't make you marry her, knowing that. He asked without much hope. It certainly never factored into sorcerer expectations of providing an heir, and he didn't hold much optimism that this lot was any more sensible. Azra sighed again, one of his extra expressive ones that spoke volumes. <sighs> I'm afraid what I want isn't the point. Naturally not, Crow said caustically. The wanker. Oops. His feelings about Gabriel were a bit more vehement than he usually let on. He tried not to think about it too much. Last week, Azra had mentioned Gabriel's threat to sell Serafina, and it made Crow so angry that when he got home, he had to go cool off, literally so, to go fill a washtub with cold water and stand in it until he could be sure that he would not burn anything. But hold on, there's nothing understandable about it anyway. Any courtier should be thrilled to marry royalty. Shit, he'd nearly said you. Other royalty, perhaps, Azra replied. There's plenty to choose from, with five kingdoms and four princes in this one alone. I am merely a spear and a lesser one at that. The calm resignation in his voice spoke volumes and illuminated things that made Crow want to take him by the shoulders and shake him and pull him into his arms 
and kiss him, and then set fire to half the nobility. Instead, he kept his arms folded and glared at him, not that it was visible under his mask. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You're worth more than the whole rotten lot of them put together, ten times over. He felt a slow rage coalesce together inside of him, like a piece of hot iron lodged just under his breastbone. How dare they? How dare these puffed-up, self-important idiots make Azra feel inadequate? Couldn't they see what was right there in front of them? His distress ran too close to the surface for his liquor-loosened tongue to rein in, and he plunged ahead before he could stop himself. It's hardly your fault that the bastards have all got glass for eyes and rocks for brains. Azra looked up in surprise at his vehemence, and Crow flushed but didn't look away. Well, it's true, he said defensively, hating how petulant he sounded. After a moment, Azra's expression melted into a gentle smile. He put a hand on his arm. I'm so glad you're here, he said simply. Crow's head had filled with a buzzing sound the moment he touched him. He had no pithy reply. Me too, he managed. Azra glanced around, then said, Come with me. I know a good place where we'll be safe. He slid his arm through Crow's, put his other hand on his elbow, as if to keep him there, and led him away down the hall. Crow floated along next to him, barely aware of his own feet. Azra's arm, through his, was just a light pressure that might as well have been a cast-iron chain. He didn't know where they were going, and he didn't care. All his concentration was fixed on that arm. He was only vaguely aware of walking down a corridor, up a curving flight of stairs, turning up and up until they came to another dimly lit hallway with a locked door. Azra let go of him then, to fish out a ring of bright keys of all different sizes and metals from his pocket. He used a small bronze key to let them inside. It was a tiny private balcony overlooking the ballroom, similar to the viewing boxes Crow always booked at the larger city theatres. It was just a little half-circle outcropping with a cushioned bench and polished railing. If he squinted, he could barely make out identical nooks set at intervals around the vast circular room, spaced far enough apart to make eavesdropping impossible. They were also conveniently set above the hanging glass lamps, leaving them in their own private shadow, while the floor below remained quite visibly lit. Clearly, these were intended for privacy. Azra shut the door behind them, then leaned his back against it with a huge sigh. Oh, 
We should be safe enough up here. These rooms are closed off to the public. I used to sneak up here to read as a boy, he said, matter-of-factly. No one will be coming round. A great deal of tension seemed to go out of him, and he abruptly looked more himself. Oh, what a blessed relief. As bad as all that. You have no idea. Azra gestured to his face. Would you mind? Could you take that thing off for a bit? No one can see you up here. Crow carefully lifted off the leather mask and set it on the bench. He blinked and rubbed at his eyes as the light from below dazzled him anew. Everything looked twice as spectacular without the shaded lenses, and as his vision cleared, he took a minute to just re-admire the view. All of the view. Azra was standing right there in front of him, not even two feet away, in that ridiculous outfit with hands behind his back. His eyes were visibly blue, even in their little pool of shadow, and as Crow looked at him, his face broke into a true smile for the second time that evening. The entire balcony seemed to brighten. <laughs> there you are. Azra raised a hand, as if to touch him again, then let it drop back to his side without completing the gesture. It certainly is nice to see a friendly face tonight. I didn't realize that they were in such short supply. Crow hesitated, then decided, the hell with it. You deserve better, you know. You don't deserve the way your brothers treat you. Or any of the people here, apparently. Azra wrung his hands and glanced away. Oh, it's not so bad, really. I'm far better off than most. That's a load of... That's nonsense, Azra. They have no right to treat you like that. Or barter you away, Crow pressed. If they're all so awful to you, why do you put up with it? Or do anything they tell you to do? A small, less drunk part of himself was painfully aware of his own hypocrisy. It wasn't as though he'd ever told off the council, had he? Shut up, Crow. Shut up. You know it's not as simple as that. I have many expectations and obligations that come with my station. Things that are non-negotiable. <laughs> like marrying that girl? Azra winced. Yes, like that. And then you'll have to stay up here. Forever. Crow struggled to keep his voice calm. And, and I'll never see you again, he swallowed. And you'll be stuck. This kind of thing will be your life. What other choice do I have? Azra demanded, with a touch of asperity. He lifted his chin and folded his lace-covered hands before him. But Crow knew him well enough to see that he was hiding distress. This already is my life, Crow. It always has been. I've never had a say in the matter. There's nothing else I can do. You could come stay at my place. 
the words leapt out of Crow's stupid, stupid mouth without any input from his brain, and then it was far too late to take them back. Panic rose inside him, but words were still pouring out, each more mad than the last. There are plenty of rooms in the tower. You could bring Serafina and your books, as many as you like, and read all day. Every day could be like the last few months. Or we could leave. Just go off together and find some place where people are more sensible. He forced himself to stop talking. Curse that blue drink. Curse my loose tongue. I must be out of my mind. Azra was looking at him, with lips slightly parted, his expression a strange mixture of astonishment, uncertainty, and something that looked like longing. But that was probably just wishful thinking on Crow's part. I... I don't think my people would like that, the prince said faintly at last, voice low. Does it really matter what they would like? Crow asked, reckless. His face was burning. Equal parts mortification and disappointment churned together into a hot ball in his chest. They don't seem to care much for what you want. You don't have to do this. But I do. This is larger than me. And what I want... I cannot simply shirk every responsibility I've ever been given and go herring off, no matter... <sighs> Azra bit his lip and did not continue. So that's it. It's settled, then. Marry her, regardless how you feel, and just... just spend the rest of your life miserable? Crow demanded. His skin had grown hot, in a way that had nothing to do with his clothes. He clenched his sweating fists and tried to stamp the magic back down. He knew he had no right to demand anything of him. He knew that, but he was going to lose him so soon. And at that moment, he was all jagged desperation. He couldn't bear the thought of Azra with that distant expression on his face all the time. He ached to gather him into his arms and tell him it would be all right. <laughs> I never said I'd be miserable, Azra protested indignantly and frowned at his disbelieving scoff. <coughs> I didn't! I, I am proud to uphold my duty to my family and my kingdom. He swallowed hard and lifted his chin again. I was born to this. I've known that this is coming my entire life. It's part and parcel of the privileges I've enjoyed, and the only thing I have to offer in return. That's bollocks! Come on! I know you don't want to marry some stodgy courtier and spend the rest of your life dancing attendance on people like these. I am a stodgy courtier too, Crow! Azra burst out, composure fracturing at last. His eyes were wide and distressed. I am people like these. You're not, Crow said at once. He bit his tongue, 
but couldn't keep back the fresh torrent of words leaping unchecked from somewhere deep inside. You're gentle and kind and clever and stubborn. You love books and magic tricks. You value people and animals above gold. You're nothing like them at all. You have everything to offer. I... I... Azra gaped at him and mouthed wordlessly for several seconds. The... the king has spoken, and I have no choice but to obey. This is for the good of my kingdom, and my family, and... Yeah, it's for the good of them! Crow burst out, unable to keep it in any longer. He shoved both hands distractedly into his hair and yanked at it. That's what people like Gabriel and your brothers really mean when they say things like that. My lot is just the same. Your kingdom isn't going to benefit from your family growing richer. They just say that to control you so they can get what they want. Be that as it may, Azra said unsteadily. I... I'm not like you, Crow. I'm not free to just, just do as I please. Crow lowered his hands and looked seriously at him. I'm not as free as all that. You might notice that I'm here in disguise, under pain of death, from both sides. That's true, but you just... Go out and do the things that you want to do anyway, and spit in the eye of anything that tells you otherwise, no matter what. I don't know how you do that. Azra's shoulders had slumped, and now he sounded only sad, so impossibly sad. It made Crow feel more like a monster than any glares or attacks from villagers ever had. You're so much braver than I. Crow heaved a slow sigh, feeling the heat flicker and drain away. <sighs> Not really, he admitted quietly. I've got less to lose, and it's just a matter of deciding. What matters most to me? What things are worth the trouble? The flash of temper had faded, leaving only a deep ache and a sense of shame. How could he ask why, when he knew too well the cost of being an outcast? How could he expect anyone to willingly choose the same when they had all this? Sorry, he whispered. I didn't mean... I'm sorry. He reached out and put a hand on his embroidered shoulder to comfort him before he fully realized what he was doing. He snatched it back, then turned away to the balcony railing and put his hands there where they could not get into trouble. A moment later... Azra joined him to look out over the room. From their high vantage point, he could see that the vaulted ceilings were painted to look as if they opened to the heavens, 
with spectacular frescoes of white, puffy clouds spilling across a blue sky. Below them, the ballroom floor was patterned like an enormous sunburst, crystal and gold mosaic tiles spiraling outward from the center to touch the edges of the room. They sparkled in the light of the myriad candles. The entire palace wall to their left was glass from floor to arched ceiling. By day it would have shown a spectacular view of the open sea, but the night had turned it into an enormous starry mirror that reflected everything back at them over and over again. He whistled softly. I'll have to hand it to you, Angel. It's quite the view. A bitter one from up here. Azra smiled at him, and Crow's unwise heart did stupid flip-flops around that little balcony. They both looked back out at the room, listening to the music in companionable silence. Shine, really. If things were different... I just might ask you to dance, Crow said quietly. Azra was quiet for a long moment, staring down at the whirling dance floor with both hands clasped to the railing. His face had fallen back into that unreadable mask from earlier, the one that made him look like a stranger. Candlelight from the lamps to their left winked off the beadwork on his coat, and cast his face half in shadow, half in warm, golden light. If things were different, I might accept, he said at last, in a near whisper. They were standing shoulder to shoulder in the small space, and as the silence stretched, Crow wasn't certain what they were talking about anymore. He didn't think they were talking about dancing. There was a curious, keen pain in the left side of his chest. He cleared his throat and looked back down at the ballroom without seeing it. <clears throat> Probably for the best, he said, and his voice was slightly rough. I've never danced before, and I'd probably just step on your fancy shoes. Azra's ring-laden hand was resting next to his on the railing. Crow's littlest finger was almost touching it, just a hair's breadth away. As if by accident, Azra's hand shifted that infinitesimal distance to press against his. They just stood there, with their fingers touching, the contact tenuous and perfectly deniable. Crow barely breathed. This was different, somehow, completely different than a comforting hand on his in the wood, or even a courtly kiss on the hand. He did not know exactly what this was, only that it was something precious and fragile as gossamer. He closed his eyes and did not move. The music and laughter of the ballroom seemed to hush, their surroundings falling away into silence. The entire palace 
seemed as far away as if it was at the bottom of the nearby sea. There was only the enveloping warmth of Azra next to him in the darkness, and the beautifully sacred, unmistakable touch of his hand. Sacred, that is what you are. A desperate yearning to take his hand, to throw caution to the wind, and tell him truly how he felt, rose up inside so strongly that it left him breathless. It terrified him to realize he was considering it. Hadn't he already cocked things up enough tonight? He bit his tongue and squeezed his eyes tighter shut, feeling his heart burst into erratic flight like a caged bird. Hot sweat broke out at his temples. Those drinks were a bad idea. Ill-advised words pressed at his lips, making all the cracks running through him tremble. It felt as if he would shatter like porcelain if he held them back for another second, or even moved the wrong way. Slowly, heart to thunder, he lifted his hand and rested it gently atop Azra's. There was a slow, indrawn breath in the dark beside him, and Azra did not pull away. His thumb came up to hold Crow's smallest finger in place. Just then, the enormous clock hanging on the adjacent wall, right next to them, began to toll. A deep, resonant, incredibly loud sound that shattered the quiet spell. They both started violently, and it broke the contact between their hands. The clock just kept tolling out the hour, on and on, twelve ringing strokes in all while they stood and looked anywhere but at each other, while Crow collected himself. As the final strike rang its way into silence, he removed his hands from the railing. <laughs> Midnight. I should probably leave before the crowds begin to thin out too much. Or before I do something foolish. More foolish. Must you go? Azra asked, and in his voice was something wistful and vulnerable that made Crow want to fall to his knees and pour out his heart. But that would be the height of foolish. No, yes, I don't want to go, but tonight your smile makes me ache, and there's no hope for anything more. It was hard to speak past the yearning in his throat, but he managed a crooked smile. <laughs> I seem to have promised to avoid unnecessary risks. Azra looked like he wanted to say something else, but only sighed. Yes, we can't have that. Please be careful. I couldn't bear it if any harm came to you. Not again. Crow swallowed 
stomping down the way those words made his heart leap. You know me, I'm always careful. Asra's eyes crinkled a little at that. Thank you so much for coming to see me, Crow. You've made tonight much easier to bear. After a moment's hesitation, he held out his hand towards him. Crow took it. Asra's hand was still as solid and soft as the first time they'd ever shaken hands, that day by the wall. The day everything had changed. He stood there, looking down at it, suffused with longing, feeling the mad, unspoken things well up through the cracks again and crowd onto his tongue. Don't marry that girl. Come away with me instead. In that breathless second, he almost asked him outright again, even though as he thought the words, he could hear how stupid they sounded. Standing here of all places, here at the glittering heart of a crystal palace by the sea, what could he possibly offer Azra compared to all this? The answer was a slap of cold certainty. Nothing. He had nothing to offer him. Just a drafty old stone tower and a lifetime as a pariah. Even if a prince could ever feel anything like that for a sorcerer, no one in their right mind would choose that just for him. All it could do was drive Azra away sooner. That wretched certainty shut his mouth on any confessions or further pleas he might make. He wrestled them into submission and swallowed them painfully back down. With a jolt, he realized he'd been holding on to Azra's hand for far too long, well past the normal allotted handshake time, and that again neither of them had pulled away. He quickly released his grip before he could say or do something he would regret. His hand tingled as he let it fall back to his side. He pulled in a sharp, ragged breath, feeling his chest expand painfully. Don't go spreading that around, he said, and grinned like his entire heart wasn't fractured open and reaching for him. If any of this gets back to the council, there'll be hell to pay. I'm on thin enough footing as it is. He picked up the raven mask and pulled it down over his face again, shutting a door. Azra stood with his hands empty at his sides, just looking at him. I'll see you once all this equinox nonsense is over, then. He sounded hopeful, at least. Crow nodded, throat tight. <clears throat> I'll be waiting. He gave a low, deliberate bow. In the same motion, he caught up, Azra's soft hand in both of his, and kissed it, pressed his lips gently to the back of it for the space of time it takes to draw a slow breath, 
The skin was warm against his mouth and smelled faintly of spices. Then he fled, face burning, before he could make any more a mess of things. End of chapter 14 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.